Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to the hills. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is good and exciting to see what has been happening at the Keller location and what's just around the corner for our South Lake campus. And in fact, if you're in person at West Fort Worth or NRH, hey, can we just give some love to our South Lake family? We are, we're excited for you. We're praying for you. And we love you. We know it's been a longer journey than expected, but also uh, there's something really exciting coming up. I, even earlier this week, I was, uh, went over to that new building and was just walking around and praying and felt this sense of excitement and hope, not just for what God's going to do physically at that location, but for what God is already doing in the hearts uh, of every man, woman, and child at our South Lake campus. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm excited for us to continue our series, The Way of King Jesus. Welcome to everybody joining us online as well as in person or later on podcast. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the ministers here and, uh, and thrilled to continue part two of The Way of King Jesus. This series is based out of one of Jesus' most famous teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, our senior teaching minister, Rick Ashley, kicked it off and helped us see that this is kind of a king's speech that Jesus gives, expecting obedience, but also promising blessing. And we saw that Jesus started his speech, not with telling people what to do, but with conferring blessing on the kinds of people in his kingdom that maybe other kings wouldn't pay so much attention to, the down and out, the marginalized, the mourning, the persecuted, and yet Jesus speaks blessing. And now we're gonna see him continue in his speech in Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word. So as we begin, it's important as we understand and unpack these words from Jesus to start with this. We see here that the king restores identity and purpose. That's a huge part of what Jesus is doing as he, as he speaks to this crowd. After giving blessings upon them, the next thing that he says is not a list of commands. Now, towards the end of, of these verses, he does say something they're supposed to do, shine your light. But before that, he doesn't focus on what they need to do. In fact, that's consistent with how God treats us. If you're new, exploring something about Christianity, I'm so glad that you're here. One of the common kind of uh, sometimes misconceptions or assumptions about religion is that God mainly is concerned with your behavior. He wants you to do this. He's got a set of rules for how you're supposed to behave, or a set of you ought to's, or you better, or thou shalt's. And what you need to understand is the God of the, of the Christian Bible is a God who understands that actually our actions, our actions flow out of our identity and our sense of purpose. Who we think we are and what we think our life is for will determine then what we do. 
Jesus knows this. And so he looked out that day at this crowd of people, the same way that his voice, his words through scripture carry over us to speak and restore a sense of identity. Who we're made to be. Notice in these verses, Jesus doesn't say, you should be the salt of the earth. You ought to be the light of the world. You better become. No, Jesus doesn't say any of that. It's not what you should be, could be, ought to be, or that you came to church to be guilted into trying to be. Jesus says, you are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He looks out at at us as his followers, and now he tells us who we are and what we're made for because God made every single person, and so God knows who they really are. God knows what their life was made for, and that's what God speaks over us. But let's not lose what Jesus says in context. That day, he's speaking to a group of Hebrews. Let's not forget, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and so let's hear his words even in the context of Jesus' nation Israel, God's chosen people. God had chosen Israel to be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. In the way that salt and light are meant to add value to life. Back then, salt was something that added value. It helped preserve food. It helped season things that were eaten. Light was something that you you desperately needed. When you're indoors after sundown, it's pitch black. You need light. It adds value to life. And God had chosen Israel as a group who would be a blessing to all of the world. But the story of the Old Testament is the story, it's the story of people who again and again are losing their saltiness, losing that thing that makes them distinct and different to add value. The Israelites kept wanting to be like the other nations in the Old Testament. They they kept disobeying God. They kept forming uh, alliances and marriages with people of other religions. They kept choosing pagan idols instead of the living God. And as a result, when they would lose who they were supposed to be, well, over and over again, they were trampled underfoot by other powers like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and sent into exile. And when Jesus comes on the scene, even as he's speaking these words, he's talking to a group who are under the foot of a new power, the Roman Empire. Rome controlled Israel. And he's saying, Israel, this is who, you, this is who God says you are. This is who you're meant to be, salt that won't lose its saltiness. By the way, I, I looked up whether or not that can actually happen. So there's a European salt company that wrote this this article. Salt, sodium chloride, is a stable compound that won't go bad as long as it is kept pure and stored properly. But if the storage is compromised, if there are other things mixed in, here's one, one little phrase that they use. Salt might absorb humidity and eventually evaporate and leave behind, listen close, a substance that looks like salt but does not taste like it. Uh-oh, that'll preach. <laughs> Israel had become a nation that looked like God's people, but they weren't behaving like it. I think sometimes God might look out at his church and go, uh-oh, you got really good at looking like the church of Jesus Christ, but you're not living like it. When people brush up against your lives, they don't taste the essence of who God says you are. The religious leaders, even in that day, 
They looked like committed followers. And Jesus is about to spend a ton of his ministry telling them, you've lost your saltiness. You've lost the plot of who you are. And even though Jesus' words come with a warning that this can happen, I don't want you to miss this. When Jesus speaks to restore identity and purpose, he's not just going to use his words. This is at the beginning of his ministry and what Jesus is actually going to do for the rest of his ministry is he's going to show them what it looks like. He's going to go before all of Israel and do what they could not, maintain absolute purity and alignment with the will of God because we believe God, Jesus was God in the flesh. He had the essence of who he was supposed to be. He knew his identity. He knew his purpose. And then Jesus would actually go and die for the sins, not just of Israel, but for all of the world. Because the Messiah, the chosen redeemer of Israel, was actually meant to be a light for all of the nations. That was the promise from God as he worked to restore all of Israel. Listen to these words in Isaiah 49. God promised of his chosen servant, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that's what Jesus did. The gospel writer Matthew actually teases this in chapter four. This isn't in my notes, but just in case you want to go look at this later, just go look back a few verses in chapter four. You're going to see this, this similar prophecy about a light dawning, and that's Jesus. Listen to these words from scholar N.T. Wright. The remarkable thing is that Jesus brought this passage into reality in his own person. He was the salt of the earth. He was the light of the world. Set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see, becoming a beacon of hope and new life for everybody drawing people to worship his father, embodying the way of self-giving love, which is the deepest fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is Jesus. He doesn't just speak it. He lives it. He goes before us, and then through his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives us his spirit so we can live in this new identity. That's what he's doing for us as followers because once we know our identity and purpose, once we understand God is making his followers to live into who he says they are, salt and light, now we know our purpose. And I'd frame it this way. Followers of Jesus first push back darkness and decay. That's what salt and light do, push back darkness and decay. Rick last week gave a little tease about this passage and, and he's, he basically said, we become antibodies for in a very sick world. When we follow the way of King Jesus, we provide a counter witness to the way of the world, the way of me first, the way of the status quo, the way of some have and some don't. Notice that these two metaphors Jesus uses, they assume that these things are necessary. The world needs salt, which was going to be a seasoning and a preservative to add value and keep things fresher longer. The world needs light, like a house indoors after sundown that's dark. And I don't want to be a downer. It may sound bleak to say that decay and darkness are the status quo. 
But there's too much evidence pointing to the brokenness of our world when we look at what's happening around us and even across the globe. You know, in, in two weeks, we're going to have Renew Weekend, and we've already said in this service that that, that day every dollar is going to go to nonprofit organizations, Renew Partners. We're so proud to work with them. But here's the sad reality. These organizations would not have to exist if it weren't for darkness and decay that's so present in our community and in our world. And so what are we meant to do? Jesus says, you're going to help push back darkness. You're going to help preserve and make life better, make life livable. And yesterday, Hills Church, you did that in a big way through Renew Serve. For the nearly 700 of you that, that went throughout our community, I mean, yesterday I had the, the benefit, I felt like I was on the witness team, and, and uh, Calum, who directs Renew Serve, kind of gave me permission to float. So I got to go see a lot of different things happening and loved what I saw. And at the same time, had to face the reality that the reason we're doing what we're doing is because darkness needs to be pushed back. I, I watched a group from Our Father's Children. They were preparing for what's called Royal Family Kids Camp, something they do in the summer. It's an incredible camp. It's high intensity in terms of investment from the number of volunteers. But I heard that team as they were getting everybody ready for how they were going to serve, share that 90% of the kids who come to royal family are in the foster system 100% because their, their parents have fully revoked their parental rights. And they go to this camp. And, that, and that's a dark reality of what their life looks like of feeling unwanted or forgotten. But yesterday, yesterday some darkness got pushed back when bags were packed including handwritten cards that campers can open every single day that they're at camp. Cards full of light that tell them they're loved, they're seen, they're remembered, they're valued, that God cares about them. And that's gonna be some light that shines in their lives. We helped push back the darkness for women who have been caught up in sex trade and in strip clubs, as care packages with basic goods were put together by volunteers to help these women feel seen and supported and loved, we push back the darkness when we partner with Valiant Hearts. There were lots of you who got to go and do yard work at all of our campuses with Mid-City Care Corps and also with Academy 4 at some of the elementary schools we, we go and mentor fourth graders at. I stopped by one of those elementary schools and met the principal. She let me know that their elementary school is the oldest in their district. And as a result, you know, they, the other, uh, other schools and elementary schools in their district are a little bit more flashy, get a little bit more attention, and yet they really want to help this older building be the best that it can to help these students feel like they're seen and valued. So the team there got to serve, and one of the things they were doing was they, they actually got to decorate the teacher's lounge because this starts, tomorrow starts Teacher Appreciation Week for them. And I love it. The principal props to her. The theme she picked was, you're one in a melon. So it was all watermelon-themed stuff, which I respect the pun work there. But in addition to that, there were some uh, project outdoors and planting some flowers by the entryway, and I was standing talking with her, and she said, you know, we want every student who comes in to know that this is a place they can take pride in. And so when you're planting those flowers, she said, you're not just doing yard work, you are sowing seeds of inspiration. And that's, that's pushing back darkness. 
I asked her, does anybody else, any, any other organizations do any service projects with you? And she shook her head no. Throughout the year, there is no outside organization that does anything with this school except for the Hills and Academy 4. This principal and many others are living in a world where the status quo is you're on your own, you better figure it out for yourself. But as a church, when we are salt and light, when we serve and care for others in ways that we don't have to, but we get to, oh man, through that, we're shining a light. Yesterday, we were a counter witness in a beautiful way. And we have to get used to the idea that being a counter witness means that sometimes there's going to be tension in our contrast with the world. What's happening with our student ministry right now is a great example of that. Wednesday nights at the gathering, they're doing a series called Real Talk that's about relationships and sex and dating. Man, you talk about a counter witness compared to what students are hearing and reading and watching online and in shows and with those around them in their schools and friend groups that aren't followers of Jesus, the way of Jesus when it comes to sex and dating and relationships is a radical counter witness. But I'm so proud of our student ministry for not shying away from hard conversations that may create quite a contrast with the rest of the world, but they are shining a light on God's truth and the King's values. But as we talk about this metaphor of pushing back darkness, there's just one thing. We've got to do a little pit stop for a second. One of the dangers when we use this kind of metaphor is that it can sound like the world's terrible and we have all the answers. So that's a ditch we need to avoid. Because instead, we need to, re we need to recognize, no, we have been in the dark and Jesus came and rescued us through his death, burial, and resurrection, gave us a new identity, and that's where we live from. And out of that, every single person in our community, in our workplace, in our school, in our lives, in our families who aren't followers of Jesus are people we need to look at with compassion and love. Because we're not just called to try, and, to try and say what's wrong. Actually, what we're really called to do as we push back darkness and decay, here's the other thing we're meant to do. Followers of Jesus help others taste and see the goodness of God. Jesus isn't asking us to focus on what we're against. He is asking us through our lives to illuminate who we are for. That's what we're meant to do. Kingdom people add value to the world. They make the world a better place. And I don't care how trite that sounds to you. Because the world, when they see that kind of life, they want to know, what is the source of that kind of life? Listen to the passage again in a different translation. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand. And it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. You hear that passage ends? It doesn't end with us. It ends with people looking through past us. God getting the glory is the ultimate point. See, here's what's interesting. We're not supposed to be the point, and at the same time, Jesus uses a metaphor where he's going to place us in places of high visibility. 
I'm not talking about being up on a stage. I'm talking about the, the lampstand settings in your classes, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, on your, on your, your sports teams, whatever friend group you're a part of where you're around people who are not close to God. You're on a lampstand there. God's put you in a place of high vi visibility where your life can become something through which others begin to taste and see the goodness of God. As both of these metaphors assume that we're actually a part of the lives of people around us, impacting it in some way. Salt, it's gotta, it's gotta be up in the food to be useful. I heard somebody say, salt a few centimeters away from food on a plate isn't doing its job. Think about, think about your week. Are there some places where out of fear, out of insecurity, even out of a false humility, that you're a few centimeters away from where God's calling you to impact some people around you, to witness through your words or your actions? Are there some promptings from the Spirit, some kind of God nudges you have felt that are a few centimeters outside your comfort zone and yet they're gonna put you right where you need to be. Light, when it's in a, a place where it's obscured, is not helpful. And where it all leads is that when we, when we live from this new identity, when we shine and when we do good things, by the way, those good things, Jesus is gonna define through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. That's not, that's not good things as defined by cultural expectations. That's good things defined by the way of Jesus. People will turn their attention to God. All right, I'm about to tell you what I think is, in my opinion, the best part of this sermon. It's not something that I, I wrote, and I'm super excited to share it. A friend told me that years ago, she was teaching second graders about this passage. And she asked the group, why do you think Jesus asked us to be salt? And a second grade girl answered, because when we're salt, we make people thirsty for living water. <laughs> Mic drop. When we're salt, we make people thirsty for living water out of the mouth of a second grade, the truth of the gospel. Like, that is what we're called to do. That's it. We're not meant to be the focus. We're meant to shine a light on Jesus by how we follow him and by how we love others. And man, that's, that's not just through as great as Renew serve is, as great as Renew is, that's not just through one-time events. That's through our daily lives. And the promise of Jesus is that he's with us in all those places to shine that light no matter how dark things get. And I saw that in a pretty powerful way a few weeks ago. I traveled with a group to Poland, some members of our church, and we met up with some uh, European partners who work with refugees. We have supported missionaries in Poland for a number of years. And over the last several weeks after Russia's invasion, there are an estimated three million Ukrainians who have come into Poland for safety. And so we went 
And I, I really want to honor Brandon and Jessica Zorn, who are, are missionaries in Poland, who did a lot of work to help create appointments, and, and they, they've been doing work on the ground, creating contacts, and helped kind of prepare the trip and our itinerary with all these people that we could meet and talk to and pray with and see what's the way we can respond as a church. And as you would imagine, the stories that we heard had a lot of dark in them, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And at the same time, we bore witness and saw a lot of light in followers of Jesus who are shining brightly in a dark time. We, we sat down with a, a businesswoman, wife and mother named Kate. Uh, Kate's uh, family works in ministry. Her, her husband uh, does some videography, and, uh, and her, her father-in-law is a minister in the Ukraine. They're continuing to uh, do an evangelistic gospel-based broadcast. Um, actually, they, it was paused for a few weeks, and then they just recently were able to start it up again. And she sat with us in a city in Poland and told us about hearing the first bombs and then deciding all right, we're gonna try and stick it out. And they taped up their windows, put up mattresses over the windows in front of that, and then they made a little blanket fort in their closet to try and make things, try and make it an adventure for their kids, their daughter who is eight, their son who is two. They waited for a few days and then kind of did the same thing, uh, traveling over to some in-law's house to do it for a little bit longer and then eventually came to this heartbreaking place of needing to go. And through tears, Kate told us about how much she didn't want to leave her husband. But she went to where the trains were leaving. She showed us footage on her phone of an overcrowded train platform and told us that there was such a concern of whether or not she and, and her, her, her son would be able to get on the train that she was pushed onto the train by family before she could even kiss her husband goodbye. She then endured a 35-hour train ride out of Ukraine to Warsaw, including a nine-hour wait at the border before they could cross. By God's grace and through family connections, she was able to get to a city called Wuj, where we met her. She has an apartment, which is increasingly difficult to do as there's such high demand. And yet she is continuing to stay connected with uh, not only her husband, but with others in ministry. They work with, with orphans, and those orphans have been scattered to different places in Germany and other spots, and so they've been connecting with them online, continuing to check on them and minister to them and make sure that they're okay. In such a dark time, we saw a light in Kate shining brightly. We, we met some incredible people who live in Poland who are, are doing the best they can to try and step in and serve and push back darkness and, and help others find safe places, including two church planners. Uh, one of them is working full-time as an engineer, and, and yet they decided, you know what, we're going to try and take people into our home. And so uh, they've taken uh, a mom and two adult uh, daughters into their home who are Ukrainian, including one of the adult daughters has a son, and so there, four of them are, are in, in their home, and we asked for how long, and they said, we don't know. But even though they did that, they wanted to do more, and so they, they dreamed with Brandon and Jessica, the missionaries we support, and they found out about a hotel that was dormant because of COVID, and so they have, they've, rent, they've, they've taken a short lease on that hotel and turned it into a short-term refugee center. We got to go there to the center and then meet the directors on site, their names are Val and Angela. Val is Ukrainian. 
and Angela is Russian-American. They were doing ministry in Ukraine when their supporting organization, as tensions mounted in February, said, you've got to get out. February 23rd, they got on a plane, and they took off not knowing they would be on the very last plane leaving their region. They had no way to get back, to get back to their church, to get back to the people they served. They were stateside with family, waiting and just feeling sick and praying, going, God, give us a place where we could serve. And then they found out about this hotel that was being turned into a refugee center. When we met them, they'd been on the ground only three days, and yet already God had given them opportunity to minister to those who were coming. Val told us about one family who they are coming from a city that has been decimated. They have nothing to return to. They're not followers of Jesus. And they sat down with Val and Angela for what was supposed to be a 15-minute orientation meeting. And they ended up spending two and a half hours with them, praying with them, listening to their story, ministering to them, and then sharing the gospel with this family. And Val has been positioned as a Ukrainian refugee who is able to serve and welcome and care for other Ukrainian refugees. This is how God puts us on the lampstands where we need to be, where we can shine brightly through the ways we care for others. On Sunday, we went to, uh, to the church plant. It's called Genesis Church of Christ. And uh, while we were there, there, there was an incredible time of, of worship that made me smile. I want you to listen for just a second. See if you can recognize this worship song. recognize it? Yeah, you didn't know what a beautiful name could polka, but it can. <laughs> oh, it was a beautiful morning, and there we didn't know that Val and Angela, the directors from the Refugee Center, would actually be there, but there they were, and they had brought with them a number of families from the center, several of whom are not followers of Jesus. And there on stage, we saw a woman named Christina. I don't know if you noticed there was a violin player. Well, it it was her very first week to join the worship team because she is a Ukrainian woman who's a professional musician. And in a time where it would be very reasonable for her to say, hey, I'm in, I'm in no state to help lead worship, and in fact, maybe I'm angry with God about what's happening, she instead was letting her light shine, blessing this congregation that's welcomed her in by helping to lead them in worship. This is what we're seeing, that in the midst of dark, Jesus is putting his followers on lampstands left and right where they can shine a light, where they can push back darkness, where they can help bring out this beautiful God kingdom flavor in life. This is what he does. And so as a church, I want you to know there are two main ways that we're going to respond to what's happening. Through generosity and through prayer. Because of your generosity, we were in a place where we could already mobilize an eight-month response plan because what we heard was, man, the short-term response, there's already a lot of donations, but it's going to be the longer-term response that makes the difference. And so we have mobilized, because of your generosity, Hills Church, $100,000 that's going to be used over the next eight months in order to make contributions to relief efforts. 
part of those funds, they're going to buy four new vans that are going to be used to transport goods from Poland to the border and then from, uh, from the border into Ukraine to some of the most war-torn areas because we met a Ukrainian pastor who has connections and is already transporting goods. They just need more vans. So we're going to be able to help do that. There's, there's a number of other ways we're going to be able to respond, but, but here's what we heard, that our generosity was no substitute for our prayers. Because only through prayer can God really do what we can't, what no amount of money can buy. Money can't buy the end of a war. Money can't buy reconciled families. Only God can do that. And so we're responding through prayer. I want you to know that uh, at all of our campuses, uh, out in our atriums, there are some tables that say, uh, pray for Ukraine. And right there, there's some cards. We'd love for you to go and write a prayer write a note, uh, write a scripture as a prayer over uh, Ukrainian refugees because we are planning to take every prayer that's written, every card, and send that to Poland to our partners. Those are going to be distributed at refugee centers and they're going to be pasted inside the vans that are going into Ukraine as a kind of prayer coverage for those dangerous drives. So we would ask you, take a moment, write down a prayer. Prayer makes a difference. Amen? And in addition to that, we want to pray as an entire church. So we've created a seven-day prayer guide at nationsandgenerations.org Ukraine. I want to invite you. Day one is today. Today, if you go there, whether, whether through uh, video, we've got this available on YouTube. If you want the video version or a written version at this link, you can pray with us. Today, we're praying about Kate, about Ukrainian moms like her. And so we'd invite you to do that. Because this is one of the ways that we live as salt and light. But you know what? It's not just during the most extreme times. God's called us with a new identity and purpose to live this every single day of our lives. And he's given us his spirit so we can do it. And the last person I want to talk to is the person who's not a follower of Jesus. And we believe God loves you. And he wants to restore your identity. You are not what the world says. You are not your previous mistakes. You are not what other people have piled onto you by how they have wounded you or things they have said to you. God looks at you and he says, I know who you are. And I can restore your identity. I can give you a purpose that can't be taken away. But that only comes through faith and life with Jesus Christ. And so if, you, if you're being drawn to some of the light that's coming out of Jesus' words, man, that's an invitation from him. The king says, come do life with me where things shine bright and where life is better. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we ask first and foremost that you would bring peace to our world and to Ukraine. We ask that you bring an end to the war. We pray for Kate and for other mothers who are enduring such difficult times, being separated from, from loved ones and from their husbands. God, would you protect them, protect their children, give them strength. We lift this prayer up to you, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.